Hello everyone and welcome back to Amy Ask About the Economy. I'd like to welcome back to the show Stephen Groves. Thanks Amy, thanks for having me on. It's absolutely brilliant to be here. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention Stephen and I have decided that uh, we are in the afternoon, late afternoon, um, and that it's happy hour. So we are having a drink. Um, so we're, we're distanced, but um, I just hold my glass up to you and I'll have a little drink. It is there a glorious go. afternoon for a drink as well. Yeah, I think we've, we've all deserved it <laughs> with and, what we've been going through. And how fitting to have a, a celebratory drink while discussing such an interesting top, topic as economics. Absolutely, because we aim to make economics fun and if that involves a bit of alcohol, why not? Totally agree. Unless you're Josh Frydenberg, then no, because <laughs> you're actually going to be making some important decisions so you should stay sober so just to clarify last time we spoke we talked about were we in a recession at that point we weren't officially um so i just want to officially tick the box to say yes we are now in a recession unfortunately yes and uh i i think it was as we uh, no doubt mentioned last time it was inevitable and um, and that time has come, and, and here we are. I mean, the, the sun still comes up every morning, but it's quite miserable for a lot of uh, the poor people out there in the world who are unemployed or whose businesses mm. are struggling, and it's part and parcel with these types of economic circumstances, which is quite sad. But, yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. And when when does that spill over into being an a economic depression? Well, that in itself is... As we as we as we mentioned in our last discussion, difficult thing to scientifically say. So, in, in technical terms, a recession is is what happens when you have two consecutive quarters of economic decline. A recession, on the other hand, doesn't have a, a quite a strict scientific measurement, as a depre- as, as as a depression doesn't have quite a strict scientific measurement as a recession does. And on that basis, it's normally treated as being anywhere from four quarters to, to, to five or six quarters of economic decline. Mm. And it's quite likely, I would say, um, that at least the next quarter or so will probably have some economic decline, especially with what we're seeing in some of the hotspots around Australia, Australia at the moment. Those, uh, those types of circumstances will absolutely have a significant economic impact, I would think. But yeah. time will tell. Time will tell. And who declares it? Yep, depression now. Is it just is it Treasury or it's 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 not something that people will scientifically declare. I think we'll see. Having said that, it will be something that will be potentially thrown around by uh, politi- political folk, uh, probably more so. Actually, the uh, the opposition parties typically yeah. they they like to amplify things and dramatise things to be yeah. horrible and bad when they probably are, mind you. Uh, so I would expect that we'll see that type of wording and that type of terminology thrown around by those types of people in the world. Uh, but I would not expect that we'll have uh, any people of scientific ilk or of uh, strict economic ilk like a Reserve Bank or anything like that yeah. coming out and formally declaring it a depression. But who knows? It is unprecedented at the moment. We'll see what happens. I did see a nice image on the ABC of the two major political parties, uh, leaders talking and, and having a chat that looked jovial is not quite the right word, but, but smiling with each other and talking. So I, I, I sort of thought, oh, that looks like there's some 
still there is some bipartisanship on on all that's going on. I, I know that there have been some criticisms and I actually quite like it when it goes, you know, job keeper, job seeker, uh, there's a new one, can't quite remember it, but we need a job creator um, at the moment and, and I just like the idea that we're, you know, we're keeping our, our terminology in this nice sort of way that just appeals to my structured brain, I suppose. Um, mm. One of the... So what Josh Ryderberg and what the Prime Minister have come out and said is uh, a couple of things and they did say it was eye-watering. I'm wondering if that means you're going to cry about it when you hear it or if this is just man-speak for shocking. Uh, any thoughts on that one? Uh, arguably both. Yeah. The economic, the economic results that came out uh, last week now, I believe, were shocking. Mm. I'm sure some people. I'm sure, sure some people, especially those out there in the world who've lost their jobs or who've uh, lost businesses as part of all of this current uh, these current circumstances, probably have shed some tears. Yeah, numbers and apparently. statistics, though, are numbers and statistics. They they have a tendency to shock people quite often. Mm. Um, so I think in the most part, they're, they're just quite simply shocking numbers. Having said that, most people. Uh, with some practical understanding as to what's going on in the world at the moment, who've left their house in the last uh, month or two or three and seen what's going on in the world and seen how quiet our CBDs are mm. and how quiet businesses are, probably won't be that shocked by the numbers. No. Uh, because the world has been very quiet and from an economic pr- front, that simply means that people aren't spending money, people aren't hiring staff. In fact, people are uh, hiving money away, people are being made redundant. Um, it's been quite shocking from that point of view. Yeah. And so we're looking at a 9.4 unemployment rate, which I'm not sure if that's unprecedented or not, but that that's the rate that it's at. And then an effective official unemployment rate of 11.3. And so the difference between those two numbers, um, I just wanted to clarify. So let's just say I'm of the uber-wealthy <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> in thought of. And I've just decided, you know what, I don't need to work. That would include me in at 11.3. If I was on maternity leave, uh, unpaid, that would include me. If I was on New Start before this happened, that would include me. Well, yes and no. It depends on what basis they've made these measurements and these statistics. Statistics, uh, you've probably heard the, the, the term lies, damn lies on statistics. Statistics can be bundled together to show whatever somebody who's making an argument wants them to show. Mm. And un- unemployment statistics fit into the same boat. Now, with unemployment statistics, typically speaking, the underlying definition for unemployment is that you do not have a job and you wish to have a job. So from that point of view, the uber-wealthy person who we all wish we were, who doesn't have a job necessarily, probably doesn't wish to have a job. And accordingly, technically, they shouldn't be included in any other unemployment statistics. Yeah. There's this whole concept, though, of what, what economists will refer to as underemployment. Mm. Underemployment is actually um, or sometimes hidden unemployment. Mm. It's a basket of people who may have some work but they don't have the level of work that they would actually like to have or that they would require in their own life. So it might be the case that um, currently they can find a job working two days a week 
they do have the capacity and they do have the wish to work full time. Now, those types of people will not be included in traditional unemployment rates. Yep. But depending on uh, how fancy the st- statisticians are and what they they wrangle into their to their stats, sometimes they might bundle in a measure into their uh, underlying unemployment rate that includes a uh, a metric that covers off on those types of people that are underemployed. Mm. Uh, but there's been a lot of, of of talk lately, and I've seen it. Um, the ABC has been quite good lately at, at, at promoting these different numbers, looking at how many people out there in the world are on Job Seeker, mm. how many people out there in the world are on Job Keeper. Now, Job Keeper is the payment that is going to employers. Mm. Traditionally, it's been $750 a week, and the employers are obliged to pass that on to their employees. And mm. Job Keeper, there are a number of people out there in the world that are technically still employed. Mm. So, they're on the books, but they've been, to use the classic UK-style language, they've been furloughed. So they've been stood down. Effectively, it's like being on leave without pay, yeah. um, so to speak, but they're getting paid their job keeper amount because they're still on the books as their employer. Now, arguably, a large portion of those people may, when job keeper uh, does eventually end, may find themselves in a position where they become unemployed which might see a boost to our unemployment numbers, firm unemployment numbers as per the ABS statistics, Australian Bureau of Statistics, classic numbers for unemployment. We might see that grow Mm. moving forward once JobKeeper ends. At the moment, though, those people aren't included in the unemployment statistics because of the fact that they're technically still employed, even though they might not be going to work. So statistics, a crazy old uh, sort of area of the world, the measurement uh, that goes behind statistics, what you include, what you don't include, can be misleading as, as anything. And unemployment statistics, particularly when you start looking at the circumstances that we're in where you've got things like JobKeeper, you've got people furloughed, you've got uh, people who are underemployed, mm. they're, they're misleading to start with, to put it nicely. Mm. But, but by the same token, there's still a reasonable guide and we haven't seen unemployment sitting at at above 9% for, for, for some years now. Mm. If you go back to the days of the Great Depression, mm. um, we had unemployment of over and above 20%, but those were before the good old days of, of strong government welfare like we have now. So and things are certainly of statisticians who can... That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at, apparently, um, 1.2 million people being out of work by Christmas. Now, Christmas, I'm assuming is a time where most businesses, uh, especially in retail, would expect some sort of economic boost because people go on some sort of panic buying. I only just said that because my husband always waits till New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> and also I worked for a toy store once and I saw a very distressed man who came in and said, I haven't done anything, help me. <laughs> and, I, and I said, grab the trolley, grab your wallet, let's go. And... Um, <laughs> It was one of the best jobs I ever had, actually. It's closed down now, well for kids, but I was well boy if anyone wants to look that up. So let's just say that's true. 1.2 million people are going to be out of work by Christmas. Why scale it down now? Why scale down JobKeeper and JobSeeker now? Um, Well, not now, but in October when we're expecting um, mass unemployment. It's certainly a political decision. Mm. Uh, po- politics 
uh, often isn't rooted in science or rooted in good economic theory or anything like that. Politics is politics. And often, as we're seeing now with decisions around job keeper and job seeker and what to do with those with those uh, forms of welfare, we'll call them welfare, that's essentially what they are. Decisions behind those are largely political. Now, having said that, in my day-to-day work, it's quite clear to me that some businesses that are on JobKeeper have rebounded quite quickly mm. since the initial period of lockdown and shutdown uh, mm. that we had. Obviously, there's some parts of the country that are still going through uh, that type of mayhem and that type of pain, but a lot of businesses have rebounded quickly. Some haven't. It's a sector-by-sector thing, mm. and arguably, even from a pure economic point of view and a pure scientific point of view, there probably does need to be some adjustment made to the structure of JobKeeper and how it's put forward out there into the economy. So what I mean by that is it would probably be prudent for a government to go out there and be more industry-specific or be more business-specific in the criteria around who gets JobKeeper Etc. In, in order to ensure that it's going to places where, where it's well and truly required Why? because the, the yeah. economy has certainly changed in the period from when things first went south to where we are now. Because, no doubt about that. Because they said, Josh Rodenberg said he used, or they used, Treasury used February hours to determine why one month, especially one month when we were in bushfire mayhem, and, and why not use a quarter? Why just use one month, especially the shortest month of the year, to go, okay, these are the people who are on reduced hours and these are the people who are now going to be overpaid or underpaid depending on what they reported to the ATO in Feb. When if you included a few more months there, December, they might, you know, really make a lot of money because they work for um, a toy store and then in February things scale down. So their overall income for the annual tax return is going to scale down, but those few months beforehand would would be really important. Why would you just use one month? Well, we have to remember back when JobKeeper was first announced and back then when there was first a, an announcement with respect to an increase in the JobSeeker payment, the temporary coronavirus increase, there was a requirement for government to act quite quickly. So businesses mm. were in a position whereby they were struggling, Mm. really, really struggling. There was a requirement for businesses to get cash flow assistance in a remarkably quick timeline. Couple that with the fact that statistics by their very nature are always backward looking. And statistics themselves, when you're looking at uh, putting together economic statistics for a a country like Australia, a, a large country, we're not a large country in the sense of the, the, the world or anything like that, but we're, we're large enough and it takes time to put together statistics that are meaningful. Mm. Put mm. those two things together, the government was in a position whereby they needed to move quickly, mm. they needed to act quickly, and certainly with the benefit of hindsight, uh, most people, I would imagine, even the government would accept and argue that they could have done things better or more, more appropriately given the circumstances and given what we know now, but they needed to move quickly and they needed to get stimulus into the economy. And on that basis, there was arguably a requirement for them to jump in, take a small portion of data, hang their hat on it and dive in headfirst and get some yeah. money flowing into the world. Yeah. And on, on that basis, I think they did a reasonably good job. Yeah. Uh, but, but with hindsight, we can certainly argue differently. Um, many people will. Yes. But hindsight's, hindsight's a, uh, 
It's a beautiful, yeah, certainly a beautiful thing. And certainly, working where I work, it's yeah, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, which is interesting because we're in twenty twenty. To quote my daughter, um, she wanted me to ask you this, and I'll probably follow on with another question over. But first of all, I gave her the Trump test that he said that he aced. She aced it too. She's six years old. And Fabulous. I that said seems to, appropriate. Yeah. I said to her, I um, asked her multiple times if she could remember the five or six items, and she said yes. So he was doing a dementia test. Um, if anyone was questioning what kind of IQ test he was doing, and with this concept of if we stop testing, then, you, you know, you won't have as many cases. And I'm like, well, that's not really true. And when I asked her about that and I explained the concept of it, again, she's six, she said, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> um, and I, I, I love the six-year-old lens through which, you know, you can sometimes see the world. And she said to me the other night, she said, uh, Mama, I, I want to write a letter to the Prime Minister. And I said, okay. She didn't know his name. I said it was Scott. And she said, oh, I like that name. And I said, you could write to Gladys if you like. She says, no, I don't want to, I don't like that name. And I said, okay. And um, no, no offence, Gladys, um, I think the name's fine. And I said, what did you want to ask or what did you want to say? And she said, why don't we just build everybody a house and then no one will be homeless? And then she added a caveat that um, Mama and, and, and me will, will go and feed them. And I don't, I don't know about that. But... Um, that brings me on to my question, and it's probably a very, very stupid question, but I've got to ask it. Why can't we just pretend that money doesn't exist right now? Just let everything be free. Keep working if you can work. Keep um, If you can't work, you can't work because there's not enough jobs out there. You can still test if people are looking for work or not looking for work if that's what you want to do. But and I know I'm suggesting some form of communism here, but given that it, this is a global problem and a global economic issue and a border issue, why can't we just go, you know what, meh, just have have your fruit, have your veg, um, it's all free now. Well, you, you're spot on. What you're proposing or what you're, what you're putting forward is essentially, is essentially communism. And my daughters um, must be a communist too. <laughs> the, 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 issue, the issue is this. If you take... Any of the communist nations going back in history, you look at the Soviet, the Soviet Union, you look at China, um, you look all around the world at different economies that have gone that way, it is in no way a very quick transition to go from a traditional capitalist-style economy or even a capitalist welfare state like arguably we have here in Australia and arguably mm. exists in the, in the UK and in, in Norway and, and lots of those different countries. The transition is difficult. So... Let's just say we go down that path. Woolworths has rent to pay, staff to pay. Even yeah. if they stop paying their staff, sure, those staff have mortgages to repay. Yeah, but so no one. Like but, but the mortgages, all of those things, for this period of time until we get a vaccine, you don't have to pay your mortgage. You don't have to um, pay employees. Um, they're still expected to work. And I understand that might be challenging if you don't have money, but the incentive is, you know, that for the good of the people, and maybe it's just because I'm an optimist, but um, all of that stuff just disappears just until we have a vaccine. And then so the, none the, of this economic stuff would matter. The IEU, the, 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 retiree, the retiree who owns 
who owns, as part of their investment portfolio, $100,000 worth of shares in Westpac Bank mm. because everybody else isn't getting paid. They can't repay their mortgage. Their shares will probably be worth not that much. There's a whole host of compounding factors. In, in a large scale, it can be done, but it just can't be done quick enough to be effective, I would yeah. argue. Yes. So we've seen, uh, going back in history, uh, after the after the, the, the Bolshevik Revolution in the USSR, communism came in. And that was a largely different time and different circumstances because you had a, a lot of uh, peasants working the land. You had very limited industry, very limited uh, what we would call sort of uh, modern-day economics going on in the world. But there were still businesses. And the transition from going from a capitalist economy to a communist state took time. Mm. took years, mm. took a lot of pain. At mm. the moment, the pain, I would suggest, and the time would outweigh any of the benefits that it might produce. Right. And then at some point, we'd have to turn around and wind it back. And at some point, um, any time uh, governments put in place assistance packages for people or something like that, putting the, putting the packages in place isn't necessarily the worst part of it. The worst part of it is when they have to wind those packages back. So to play devil's advocate, let's say in two years' time, we turn around and we say, okay, we're going back to the old system. Things cost money now. Mm. We've then got to wind it back. Um, I would argue that it's 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 too difficult. It's too problematic. Because mm. you wouldn't and have savings the, the, or anything like that. Exactly. The, the, mm. the, the cost would outweigh the benefits, you know, to put it in a pure economical point of view. So can we go – why can't we look at something that's middle of the road and um, – I've been following or had been following the um, de- democratic race in um, the USA and Andrew Yang's point of view of having a living wage. Um, that seems to me like a, a happy medium in that um, everybody is given an amount that they live off. If you have a job and you earn a quadrillion dollars, well, that's great. Um, if you don't have a job, at least your benefits, at least your um, able to still live and survive and thrive. Wouldn't that be easier than um, coming up with various different stimulus packages and just say, okay, for the next two years we're going to have, oh, until there's a vaccine, we're going to have a living wage and then everything rolls back into job job keeper and job seeker? Well, ar- ar- arguably job keeper and job seeker oh, is getting close to that Yeah. in some ways. Now, the whole concept of a living wage, in essence, arguably it's an extension of this welfare slash capitalist model that we've got happening in Australia already that really came about after World War Two, and it started over in the UK whereby the economy was in a really tough place after World War Two, and the government was in a position where they needed to provide support for people who were largely socially disadvantaged, might not have been able to get jobs uh, might be underprivileged in some ways, and there was a, a view in society and in government that the government should provide a social safety net. The concept of a living wage is the idea of expanding that safety net and putting a base level of income in for people. I would argue that it's a smart thing to do, and I would argue that JobKeeper and the changes to JobSeeker, the temporary changes to JobSeeker, have pushed us in that direction. Mm. And there's so many different economic arguments about the positives and negatives of, of doing a, a living wage or a, or a base level income for everyone. Mm. Some people think it's a great idea. Others don't. I would argue that there's a lot of positives in it. Um, it does 
enable some more freedom to come about in the economy. If people don't like their work, they can go and find another job without being scared about not having enough money coming through the door to pay their mortgage. Mm. So you get more mobility in the economy, which arguably is quite a good thing. You get better economic outcomes. And in times like these when things are tough, people are in a position where they can continue to spend money because they have a base level of income. The, the, The real issue that stops economic growth and causes economic grief and by uh, grief and by extension of that, all the bad things like unemployment and business close downs and things like that. The driver of those issues is when people stop spending money. Mm. Now, arguably with a living wage or a base level income for everyone, people will be in a position where they can continue to spend money and accordingly the impact on the economy will not be as bad. However, it costs money. Mm. So Countries that have gone further towards this type of model, their tax rates are higher mm-hmm. and arguably at the moment it wouldn't be a particularly wise thing to raise tax rates because people don't need to get higher bills coming through their door. Business owners, employees alike, don't need to have higher bills in the form of tax coming through the door at the moment. There's a whole lot of issues going on with that. I think as a temporary measure, it could be a brilliant thing. But like I said, I think largely the job keeper. Uh, arrangement and the extension to job seeker payments has gone a long way to putting this type of model into the economy in a quasi sort of fashion. Mm. So when my daughter writes her letter to the Prime Minister, I might just add, um, P.S., can you consider a living wage um, for this period of Absolutely. time? Because we don't know how long this is going to take. And it, it, it frustrates me when, you know, I hear things like the vaccine race or that sort of thing. Like a, it should be a, a global effort to come up with a vaccine that works. And a vaccine, there's also then who's going to get the vaccine first and, and how it's going to be deployed. So those types of things are all going to be very challenging, even once we have um, a method of fighting um, SARS-CoV-2 we're not going to see it turn around very quickly because we'll still need to have a herd immunity and that'll need to be on a mass production scale. And people are already putting bids in for vaccines that are showing promise but not yet um, delivered any, you know, actual um, scientific, yes, this is the one we're going to use. So we're going to be in this for quite some time. And it, it just concerns me that the more people who become unemployed, their employability, regardless of skill, is just going to continue to drop and drop and drop because they just technically can't work because of the virus circulating. So I think that's just me having a little bit of a rant about it, that I'm, I'm really worried about it, that, that you know, we're, we're potentially in this for a few years and, Absolutely. Um, the pain the pain will be long term, there's no doubt. And and you once said to me that bonds are a safe investment. Are they still government yeah, they bonds? Are. They are. Sa- sa- safe is a is a very arbitrary term, right? Mm. They're sa- they're safer than some of the other investments. Mm. Um safer is the better way to describe so you it. So probably wouldn't invest in baby masks right now. I don't want you to give us advice. I was just thinking years ago, sanitizer. Who would have thought? And then here we are all sanitizing our hands all the time and now we're all in the mask race. Well, to... the, the sanitizing, uh, hand sanitizer is an interesting one because we've seen 
such a glut of hand sanitizer come onto the market. Yeah, it's flooded the market and now it's everywhere. And 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 manufacturers and, and distributors uh, anecdotally can't distribute their stock and, and move their stock quick enough, which is problematic. And arguably the same might happen with masks. We don't know. But we'll see. It's 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 not uncommon for these types of things to happen in periods of crisis. Yeah. So um one of my last questions before I, I um, let you go back to your drink is for those of those people out there who have jobs that are reasonably secure, is there an obligation on them to spend when they can? This is a really tricky one. <laughs> That's why I left it to the last one. Have a, sa- sip of, sa- have a, have a sip of your beer. Sa- I, I, I just have. <laughs> Look, sa- <laughs> So some people would argue yes, mm. and uh, argue, uh, in, in many ways it would be wonderful. It mm. would be wonderful for the, for the bulk of us if people in secure employment positions did spend jobs, did spend money. Mm. However, we know, based on every other uh, period of economic crisis going back in history, that when a period of uncertainty comes about, regardless of your own situation with respect to job security or income people bunker down people stop spending money it's mm. a very um so you know it's a psychological emotive response to periods of uncertainty people well, normally stop do spending it too. money it's, a, it's 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 in our name like it's in in the world squirrels you know exactly squirrel exactly. away you know nuts for winter so we do the same thing to um, and especially when you see numbers like 1.2 million people will be out of work by Christmas and you might be in an industry where you don't know. And I think we're all in an industry where I don't know. Um, exactly. My, 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 my thoughts are an obligation is a, is a strong word. It would be nice if people were obliged to spend money. They won't be, but they should certainly be encouraged. If they're encouraged to spend money and if they're incentivised to spend money and mm. things like uh, government hash, uh, cash handouts help people feel more comfortable about spending money, certainly. Mm. They should absolutely be incentivised and encouraged to spend money. And um, if, if people are listening to this podcast and they're in a comfortable position, I would implore you to go out and spend money. It's, your, it's treated as your civic duty. Um, it, will, it will do the economy wonders. It will help you well, and help the rest give, of us. Well, even give to a charity. I mean, that, that, that's that's a good way because you can claim it on your tax, and uh, at, at least then you can feel that you're doing something good for yourself, other than you know buying yourself a new big screen TV. But um, you, I guess you'd have to pick which. Well, that's a good question, actually. Does does it matter where you spend? Like if you. Um, Let's just say you, you're in the uber wealthy um, and you're encouraged to spend and you spend. Does it matter where you spend or is the economy growth just the economy growth? It doesn't matter if it's um, uh, audiovisual or if I'm buying a new couch or if I'm buying a new house or it doesn't matter what, what field I'm buying in as long as I'm buying. All spending is good spending. However, spending in small businesses certainly has a greater effect. Yeah. In the sense that small businesses, the owner of a small business, you spend money with them, they're going to get the money, it will go into their pocket, they'll be more inclined to go and then spend that money, be it through another small business, be it through uh, buying their, 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 their children some books or, or, or stationery to go to school, 
they will benefit from it far far more than what large corporations will. Yeah. Large corporations, a lot of the income will come through. Some will certainly go out in the form of dividends to shareholders who uh, are quite often people like you and I who have superannuation uh, that's invested in, in shares. Uh, mm. But the dividend payments, by and large, uh, are not normally that much compared to what dividends get paid out of a small business to the business owner. Mm. Um, and from that point of view, small businesses, if you're going to spend money anywhere, that has a far greater impact on the performance of the economy yep. than what it does spending on large businesses. Yep. So before any, we're both in Sydney and I think we're both um, watching the news to see when stage three restrictions hit us. Um, so for now... Um, if you can spend in small businesses um, un- until we know more and the story continues to unfold. Um, Correct. Yep. Yeah, and my daughter looks like while she might be communist, she is a little bit above Donald Trump. Um, so that's good. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> She said oh, one more goodness. thing. I'll leave it with you. She said one more thing that she had a dream the other night and she said, I had a dream, Mum, that you had a cure for the coronavirus. And I said, oh, and what did I do? And she said, you stood on a stage and you said the cure is kindness. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. So I think that's um, let's make economics kind and let's support our small businesses out there while we can. And for all of those people out there doing it tough, um, you know, we, we feel you and we hear you. And especially to my friends in Victoria, because I lived in Victoria for a very long time and I know you are really doing a hard time right now. So um, I, I'll just uh, say cheers to you. I'm only having yeah, yeah. one glass of wine because that's all I can afford. <laughs> um, but um, I bought it from a local bottle shop. There you go. There you go. Fantastic. All right. Thanks so much, Stephen. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me on again. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.